Good morning, ladies. We are so glad and so thankful you took the time to come out and be with us this morning. You will leave three hours from now inspired, challenged, new understanding, your heart and mind, just enlightened. Um, I, my name is Jeannie Cox. I am a disciple of Ruth Meek from way back. She was one of the first ladies, first godly women that God introduced me to when I came to Dallas through the Parents of Teens class at PCPC. And I was had the privilege of working with a team of people who were intentionally trying to pour into the lives of their teenagers and help them understand how to bring Christ into every aspect of their life. And I would sit back and listen to her at the table. She would sit back in these meetings and just take it all in. And then when Ruth spoke, it was like everybody went, oh. And then it kind of all came together. And I just learned so much from her. And then when I was lucky enough, the Lord in His divine mercy and my sanctification process, decided to give me children. Um, I was sitting in her seminar, I think it was early December um, of 1999, and I was about five or six months pregnant. I looked like I could deliver at any minute. And I sat on the front row. I was about right where you are and listened to her unpack the holy days and listened to her talk about how to make Christ central in every aspect of life where the culture just wants to take that away. And it changed my life. I wept through most of that seminar that day. My family had been a family that celebrated self at Christmas. And my mom's love language is gifts. And she just went crazy, crazy. And I didn't know as I was starting my family how to start it right. So you are in the right place. Tell me the oldest child that we have here. I have an 11-year-old. Anybody have one older than that or anywhere in that spectrum? What about you got 12, 12 and 15? It's not too late. Okay, now how many of you are just starting your families, have maybe two and under? Okay, be thankful. All right, and how of you are in the elementary age? They're old enough to know what it's all about. Yeah, we have all that. You can start any time. Ruth and her husband Stephen have four beautiful children, the youngest of which is 21. And I'm sure we will hear a lot about that um, as she talks. She has taken her ministry as a mom and expanded it into redeeming ministries for those of you listening who put together program stuff um, for your churches she has four or five incredible seminars on redeeming aspects everything from your um, love life at home with your husband to how to teach yourself to be a lady a godly woman in your culture and have manners and and present yourself in a way that is attractive and be the aroma of Christ. And then she also is a part of a ministry called LEAP, which she will tell us more about, where she is taking and organizing medical teams to go in and help children whose faces are deformed, maybe who have a cleft palate, things like that. And so her ministry just tends to morph and grow, and she is letting God use her and her gifts to further his kingdom. You will be deeply blessed. Take good notes. The smartest and wisest things she told us at the beginning of her seminar way back in 99 is there's no wholesale change. Take two or three things that you maybe want to stop doing and take two or three things that you maybe want to start doing and start now. And and then little by little, just like you're building um, a dough, you will add in and take away and, and um, exalt Christ in all your holy days. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for Ruth. Thank you for the way you have used her as an instrument of your grace, as your mouthpiece, to help us reconcile the scripture with very practical things that our world could see and could lift up and could know that you are um, exalted and that you are Lord. 
and that we are um, here as your ambassadors of Christ. Please open our hearts. Help us to put away the things that are hindering us now from listening and hearing your word. Help us, all the kids down in child care, to just calm down and just have a great morning and just really connect with their leaders down there and um, open our hearts to hear your word. Thank you for your goodness to us. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Jeannie. Everybody needs a friend like Jeannie. If I was a quarter of the woman, she says I am. (laughs) Thank you, Jeannie. You are one of my favorites. And I'm so grateful to Watermark for this opportunity, and especially to come speak to you all so early in the season. And, um, of course, I love having very young victims, like some of you who haven't had your, um, haven't started your children yet because, your families yet, because retraining is really hard work when you're talking about, you know, taking things back from children. And Emily, are you in here? Thank you so much. You are an amazing leader and coordinator of many, many things. Um, I also want to thank God publicly. I have been completely delivered from a disabling fear of man. I am a pleaser. Love people, have 25 best friends. They love me, I love them. So if you have a lot of people, if you're really into interpersonal relationships, that's typically your, your besetting sin. Well, the way that manifests, if you're ever asked to speak in public, is that your knees will literally knock. The first time I did this, and it's been 20 years ago, I didn't have a lectern. I had one of these things like this, not a nice, big, heavy wooden lectern. It was one of these poles. My knees started doing this. Can you see my knees? Do you see how awkward that is? I knew how awkward it was. I could not stop it. It was a huge group of women from my church, Park City's Press, and um, I had no idea that that is the response of nervousness. So anyway, it was a gracious audience, and we just kind of had to laugh about it, but I am so, I want you to know, I'm very comfortable. If you are uncomfortable by my accent or by some of my hairs that are doing crazy things, or I had to take one of my earrings off because it was messing with the microphone, just talk to yourself and say, let it go. Don't think about that. You know, your sin nature can kind of just make you focus on something wrong with the speaker and you won't really listen to what he or she is saying. I don't want you to do that. Okay. I am from Mississippi. That's why I talk like this. Have you Raise your hand if you've seen the movie The Help or if you've read the book. Okay, put them down. It is far more historical than fictional. It is an amazing book. And the little May Mobley, the little three-year-old baby in the movie was me. But my, I don't want to give the movie away, but my mother, you know, we had a black maid. Everybody did. But it wasn't so my mother could run across to junior league meetings. It was so my mother could run across town and take care of, teach black children. So a far different thing. But, um... I recommend the movie to you. Okay, I do feel like I'm a little bit of an expert on Christmas. A little bit. But that's only because 20 years ago when I was asked to speak at my church, I took the assignment so seriously, I just began to read everything I could get my hands on. And I was asked to speak based on what somebody thought was me already kind of doing it right. I had four little children, and they always looked cute on Sunday morning, and, you know, we got to church on time, and... I was teaching Bible studies, and I just had it all together on the outside, but I really didn't know what I was doing. But I did. I'm a teacher, and teachers love to learn. And then when they learn something, they can't stand to not share it with everybody else. Raise your hand if you're a teacher. Okay, you know what I'm talking about. Your children will be so tired of you. 
So my children are so happy that I have this uh, ministry so I can go share things with other people. And also, because I had the responsibility to learn, um, I just I started to realize how desperately I needed the kind of things I was learning. I didn't realize it at the time, but I had had an experience two years before that I didn't even really connect on. In 1988, my husband and I were sent to Alexandria, Virginia on a short-term assignment. He was with the Staubach Company and had been schlepping back and forth on an airplane. I mean, they were paying to fly him home to Dallas every weekend. So they finally realized the project was growing in Stafford County, so they realized it would be cheaper to just relocate the whole family. So we thought, well, wouldn't this be fun? We just had two little girls at the time, so we left everything in our house. We thought it would be maybe six, three to six months, so just left everything where it was in the house. My sister happened to be living with us in the guest house at the time. And um, just packed up, went to Alexandria, had court rental furniture in our little high-rise apartment. It was a building, it felt like the United Nations. It's a really multicultural place up there. So it really felt like a vacation. And because we thought that, you know, every weekend might be our last, we re- really never plugged into a church. You know, we attended church, but we didn't join anywhere. So no one was really asking me to do anything and have any responsibilities. Um, the girls were too young to be in school. I didn't have any friends. Sounds terrible, but it was really kind of not, it was a break for me. Well, needless to say, the um, what we thought would be very short-term ended up being 18 months, so we had a Christmas there. We have a Christmas there without any of my stuff. Okay, this is in the 80s. You all are too young for this. Debbie, you may know what I'm talking about. I have one friend in here kind of, I don't mean to insult you. I think you're younger than I am. <laughs> but in the 80s, and my husband was in real estate, so at that time we were in one of the peaks. My, my life is, is peaks and valleys. It's feast and famine, feast and famine. So we were in one of those feast years. Now, we never, ever, ever, here's a confession for you. I love Watermark where everybody like talks about their sin. <laughs> we never, ever learned how to live in the good times for the lean times. We never knew how to say no to ourselves. And, of course, we, did an uncon- we didn't know this at the time. At the time, we thought we were being really responsible. So all you do is kind of use the yardstick of your group that you're running around with. Well, I happen to have a lot of really rich friends. So I was always kind of the poor one. So I'm thinking, you know, based on what they're doing, this is good stewardship. Well, it really wasn't, and I only knew that later, years later. Anyway, so I have none of my Christmas decorations with me, and I really didn't want to go buy anything because I had 30 boxes of it at home in Dallas. And my mother had come to uh, Virginia because I had had my third child in late November. So mother's there, mama is what I call her. Mama's there, no friends, no school plays, no pageants, no cookies to bake. Um, I had sent out a birth announcement in November right when my son was born, so I didn't feel any compulsion to send out the big Christmas card with the darling picture of the kids. Um, Just there were no responsibilities. So that whole Advent season, and I remember the girls went to a little preschool wasn't a real school. It was like a little two-day-a-week mommy's day-out thing. But it was um, operated by the Episcopal Church. And they had a little craft day for them where they made Advent wreaths. Well, 20 years ago in the Protestant Church, you never heard about Advent or Advent wreaths. Or at least I, I didn't. 
I grew up um, Baptist in Mississippi, and that just sounded very Catholic and scary to me. So anyway, the girls made this little wreath. I mean, it was styrofoam with, it was so primitive looking. You can imagine what a two- and three-year-old could bring home. But it had the four little candles. And so their Advent wreath, and my mother had strung popcorn. She wanted to show my older daughter how she did it when she was a little girl. She grew up in a very, very poor family in Alabama. So she strung popcorn on a threaded it on the needle and then she strung cranberries and pulled little branches out of the front yard and put them on the mantle. So I've got a picture of it up here. When we have our breaks, I want you to come look at some of the exhibits up here. Um, so it was just an amazingly simple time. So I remember getting up early, early every morning like you do when you have an infant and nursing the baby and I would have my private devotional time sent. Well, they just went on and on and on. I could sing, I could pray, I could think, I wrote in my journal. Because I was not so distracted by all the many, many, many good things of my life. And during that season, I had not an epiphany, but I, I experienced the nativity. I felt, I was already a believer, but I really felt Christ being reborn in my heart. I've never heard God's voice. I'm very suspicious of people who say they do. But I had an experience that was really supernatural. And it was only two years later, reflecting back, that I realized what it was. And I I got that realization from reading through my own journals. I'm a journaler. If there's one thing you want to really start doing in your life that will make a difference in your walk with Christ, it is to write. Even if it is two sentences a day. You know, when you're reading the Word, don't stop reading until something shimmers for you. And then write it down. Okay? And then the Lord will just start speaking. Writing is the act that connects your head and your heart. It's very cathartic, very therapeutic, and I don't feel like any tool has really um, aided my sanctification as much as just write. Journaling is a scary word. You don't have to do it every day. Do it when you have time. But after you develop that habit... The most important part of that habit is going back to reflect over what you read. That's where you will really see the fingerprints of God on your life. So I made this connection when it was two years later. I had been asked by the women in my church that I already told you about to share with them about keeping Christ in Christmas with a big family. Well, the Christmas before, when I was going back to my journals for some insight, there was nothing in there. There was nothing There was one journal entry that said, this has been the most dry experience of my life. It almost makes me cry every time. I've said that for 20 years now and I get choked up. So it was the contrast of those two Christmases that made me realize, wow, okay, Houston, we have a big problem here. It's Dallas. Because I got back to Dallas and here I have all of my best friends. I think friends are the ornaments of life. And no man is a failure who has friends. I think it's wonderful to have friends. However, it's like your greatest strength in life can be your greatest weakness. Your fr- the aggregate load of all 25 of your friends that you do a little token gift exchange with can really um, just tap in to some of the energy. You have limited energy and limited resources in the Advent season. So that's part of what I want to share with you today is that you need to just really be aware of how that kind of seeps out. Christmas doesn't come in a vacuum. So your life is already very full. 
Think about how people's lives are right now. You can call them any time of the year and they're breathless on the phone. Or they don't take your call because they're too busy. They wait and hear what you have to say and then they call you back at their convenience. So all of our little time-saving devices have not done that at all. Amen? Let me say this. I'm so glad to see some men in here. Yay! Are you guys married? I love it. And in the back, you're married too? I love it. In fact, one of the discussion questions, we're going to have fun with some discussion questions later, is what would Christmas be like if men were in charge? Um, Okay, now let me break for just a second and talk about a little bit of housekeeping. You have a red folder on the table, which is for you to take home, of course. What I don't want you to do is read ahead. Okay, I do not want to see the crown of your head. I want to see your faces. This is a skinny down version of a larger work that is for sale if you want it. The piece that's for sale is more appendix kind of work, appendices. Um, it's excellent. I think you would appreciate it. And there's also a CD in there of me sharing this message seven or eight years ago, which is what I'm going to cover today. So it would make a great gift for someone. And then I also put in there a CD from Leap the LEAP Foundation, which is the um, organization I've started to work for. And I'll tell you all about that later. But Dina, raise your hand back there. Dina is my intern at work, so she is going to be set up at any time if you would like to purchase that from her. And your purchase is a donation to the ministry. And there's something else you can purchase from her, too, which I'll tell you about in a little while. Okay, so we're not going to flip ahead in our book. You will need a pen or a pencil in just a minute for something. So get that out. And then on each of your tables, there's a little kind of tacky-looking centerpiece slash prop that as you have little breaks, kind of look at it, and then we're going to talk about that. Some people, the name Redeeming, my ministry is called Redeeming Messages. <clears throat> so these four areas that Jeannie talked about, it's redeeming. to redeem means to buy back. I only speak to Christians. I turn down offers to speak to non-Christian audiences. And maybe that's wrong. I've been challenged on that, but... I do not, I'm not tailoring my message for the culture. They need to hear the scripture. I mean, all truth is God's truth. And they borrow from scripture all the time. They just don't know it. But I, I believe we as a group of people in Watermark in particular, you're such a powerhouse of a church. It's not only your excellent leadership and the spirit of God, it's that you all really do things together. See, there's so much strength in the church, meaning the collective body. So I believe as we just start thinking together, you know, come let us reason together. We'll be iron sharpening iron. And you can find yourself, um, you know, ready to stand up against some things that you know in your heart of hearts are really ridiculous and wrong that you don't want to be doing. So that's the great thing about this teaching day. Okay. I used to spend, like, 10, 15 minutes of my limited time explaining the problem. I don't do that anymore. We all know that our highest holy day, it's where we get the word holiday, holiday, Christmas, has been completely taken from us. Okay, The crass commercialization of Christmas is not news to anybody. No one likes it, really. The pagans don't even really like it. So I think that we all, and and one of the exercises we're going to do in a little while is you're going to kind of examine what you're doing, and then we'll talk about why you're doing it. Um, We all say we want this, but we do that. 
So we've got orthodoxy over here, but our orthopraxy, our practice, is not the same. So that's where the stress comes from that we all feel in the holiday period. Do you know stress is an engineering term? It was not used outside of the engineering field until 30 years ago. Now it is probably the most common word in the American vernacular, probably all over the world. My inspiration for this message, all of my redeeming messages, is really from Bob Briner's book called Roaring Lambs. Raise your hand if you're familiar with it. It's an older work now. Um, it's just the same concept of the church. Just be the church. You know, the church used to be the leading edge of the culture. Now we're the dull edge. We have almost grown irrelevant. We've got the answers to all those questions nobody is asking. So my challenge to my audiences is that you would make it a personal challenge to make an observable difference in how you celebrate the incarnation. Okay? An observable difference. I mean, your neighbors should know that you are celebrating the incarnation, God becoming flesh, carnate, of God. And just because you have a few nativity scenes sitting around and you go to a few Christmas concerts does not mean you are bringing honor and glory to God in how you celebrate. Okay? So we'll talk about several ways that you can do that. Okay, there are... There are some blank pages in your um, your little folder here that you can take some notes on. But flip over to that first page right now. This is what people really want at Christmas. I'm going to read a lot of these things to you just because we're being taped. People really want a quiet and serene environment, few obligations, simple or spiritual gifts, a Christmas tree or other greenery, Few modern distractions, work magically taken care of or shared by many people, simple decorations, a relaxed pace to the holiday, candles or fire in the fireplace, singing or other music, a feeling of love and acceptance among people. Okay, raise your hand if that kind of is what you would like to have at Christmas. Does that sound good? Yeah. If you didn't raise your hand, I know it's just because you had a bagel in it or something. Because everybody, this is what we all want. What we yearn for is a holiday like our Thanksgiving, which is a celebration of family, of hearth and home that's not crazy running around with all the stuff, all the gifts, all the spending. It's about food. Men really love that part. The other thing that people really, really, really want is two more weeks to enjoy it. Okay? That's what people really want at Christmas. Okay, flip over to the Advent resolution. I shall attend to my little errands of love early this year so that the brief days before Christmas may be unhampered and clear of the fever of hurry. The breathless rushing that I have known in the past shall not possess me. I shall be calm in my soul. I shall be ready for the last of Christmas. The Mass of the Christ. I shall kneel and call out his name. I shall take time to watch the beautiful light of a candle flame. I shall have leisure. I shall go out alone, free from my roof and door. I shall not miss the silver stars as I have before. And oh, perhaps if I stand there very still and for very long, I shall hear what the clamor of living has kept me from. This is what I want for you. 
I want you all to to be able to get to a place where you can say no to some of the things that you have done in the past that have really hampered your spiritual preparation for a much better yes. I've already experienced it accidentally. I'm embarrassed to say it was an accident that I stumbled into an actual rebirth of Christ in my heart. See, in all the Christmas hymnody and literature, your heart is symbolic of the manger. If your manger, if your heart is full and busy and crowded, there will be no room for him in the end. He will pass on to somewhere else, which is what happens to most of us. It happened to me. It's happened to me many, many, many Christmases, and I know better. I've had a huge experience of both within a two-year gap, and it still happens. That's how the tendrils of the world just really work against us. And I'm sure you're in the same position. We know better, and we still just fall. You've got to keep yourself galvanized. We've got to have a new respect for Romans 12.2. You've got to keep yourself from being squeezed into the world's mold, okay? The way you keep yourself from being conformed by the world is to be, what? Transformed by the Word of God. See, the transformation, the gospel is about change and transformation. That the Word of God, the, the, that is what galvanizes you against this crass commercialization, against your own family. See, if you've got a fear of man like I do, you want your own children to like you. It's kind of a sick way of buying your own kids, you know? So, and you're not aware, that's not what you think you're doing, but it's a, it's a form of. I've got, grown way past that, and we'll get more into that later as well. But, okay, right now I want you to flip the page to the one called Holiday Preparations. And I want us to all do this little exercise together. I want you to scan this list. And put an X by those activities in which your family participates during the Christmas season. This is not an exhaustive list. Now add any you can think of that are not included on the list. CC, when you start doing this, CC stands for Christmas card. Okay, go. Okay, stop. All right, now go back through the list and put your initials by those things for which you are responsible. Okay, stop. You don't have to do that. That didn't go over as well because this is a mixed group. Usually I speak to just women. And guess what? Moms have their initials by all of those check marks. Okay? This is why you are called the Christmas magician and your husband is a stagehand. Okay? Guys, sorry, but maybe you maybe you five men in here are the exceptions. I'm just going to be delighted to find out. Let me see if you can see this photograph from the back. Can you all see this very well? It's a picture of um, just a Christmas tree and a husband and wife decorating it, and the big tall husband reaches the star on the top. That's about what you can expect your husband to do at Christmas, <laughs> reach tall things. Now, I hope that stereotype is not true of any of you, Ben. It must not be true or you wouldn't be here. So I just applaud you again for being here. But I do think that Christmas... Um, as you can tell from this list, and this, these are just things I could think of. You all could, if you really gave yourself some time, you could put ten more things on that list. And that's why we're all a little bit exhausted by the time Christmas actually comes. We're just exhausted. You're so sick of looking at that tree. 
It's just get it out of here. I just need to get on with the new year. It's because we've got our, our uh, we're not celebrating according to the rhythm of the sacred, the church calendar. But back to this list. Um, I used to, I don't do this anymore, and I wouldn't do it with the guys in here, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Um, I used to have a visual of a grapefruit and a straw. Jenny, do you remember this? It's kind of gross. But the, ra- the grapefruit represents all those things in that list, everything you think you want to do during the Advent season. And the straw represents the, the resources you have with which to do it, the time, the energy, the money, the focus, everything. Okay. So the reason we have stress at Christmas is that we try to make that giant grapefruit pass through that straw. Okay? So there is a lot of stress and pain and tearing in that. Not unlike the pain of childbirth. But that's why... See, I knew that would gross the guys out. That's why we've got to really think about these things. See, in the beginning of the year when you start making your plans and you start thinking about what you want your Christmas card to look like, you're so fresh... You know, you're ready. I mean, the minute that turkey is cold, you just go on autopilot. And you start thinking about And y'all are so young, maybe this hasn't happened to you. And I hope I can circumvent this in a lot of your lives. But we just get robotic almost in what we do. And um, all I, my, part of my challenge for the church is that we just become thoughtful. The unexamined life is not worth living. Think about what you are doing. Okay, if you're trying to get your orthodoxy and your orthopraxy to get closer and closer... So that in three or four years, you're actually doing what you believe you should be doing. You've said no to some things for the better yes later. Then it just takes a series of incremental changes. That's what Jeannie was saying. I've had so many funny experiences with trying to do too much change too fast. For instance, the third or fourth year that I kind of went public with this message um, I knew I wasn't strong enough, really. But all, all these people were looking at me. So I thought, oh, my goodness, what am I going to do? So we thought, okay, we are going to really prop ourselves up and galvanize ourselves by trading places with the friends, some friends who had moved to Colorado. They lived in Evergreen, Colorado. So they needed to be in Dallas for Christmas to visit his family. And we were just looking for a way to escape the pressure. So we just traded houses. Well, by the time we got to their house, I think it was two days before Christmas, they had already taken down their tree because they were going to stay in Dallas so long that um, they didn't want the tree to die and all that. So they'd taken down their tree. Very few. He was a minister at Evergreen Presbyterian Church there. There's just a few little lights hanging around. Well, we didn't know anybody, and their house is kind of dark and in the woods. And But we had committed to this non-commercial Christmas. We were only doing non-monetary gifts to each other. Well... The second day we were there, it was so dismal, and it was so different from the crazy Christmases we had always had with just way too much stuff, that we went to the Cherry Hill Mall, and we gave each of our kids $300. Just let them go on a shopping spree. And it really felt good. But, see, I had tried to do, I tried to change too much at one time. So, then I had another girlfriend tell me that after she heard the message, she got so convicted that she didn't, she wasn't going to do the silly Santa Claus thing, even though I think you should. If that's, we'll talk about Saint Nicholas later. It's totally fine. Um, Christmas Eve, she all of a sudden feels like, oh, I can't believe I've done this. This is terrible. She goes to Seven Eleven and spent eighty-five dollars on candy for her two sons. <laughs> so have a plan, and and women, you know what? If God has blessed you with a husband, 
plan with him. Men are really better planners. They kind of know when you're overcommitted. They really do. And they'll probably tell you to spend half as much and do half as much. And you know how you're going to feel when they say that? Bad. You're not going to like it. Like your whole sin nature is going to kick in. And like it did with me one year. After I had come up with some conviction about planning. I'm not really a good planner. I'm a real creative, figure it out as you go person. But I'd come under the conviction that men really need to oversee their wives' vows all through marriage, not just your first year of marriage. And um, we're the weaker vessel. And he is to be my head. The man is the head of the wife, okay? Christ is his head, but he is my head. Just because I make more money than he does, I don't, but in case you do, that happens a lot. Just because you make more money than your husband does not mean you are the head, okay? That's part of the materialism that's the God of our culture. So I thought, okay, I am going to call him at his office, make an appointment, sit down, and just share with him what my plans are for the holidays. So I don't remember any of the meeting except for the gift part where I told him that I was going to make lobster bisque for everyone in his office. There were about 35 people in his office. Lobster bisque is really, lobster is expensive. And it's time-consuming. So he looked at me, wadded up my list, threw it at me and told me I was crazy. Now, he's a mature believer, but he was not acting maturely. Well, it really ticked me off. I know I was supposed to obey him, but I wasn't going to do it. So, I quietly, when he didn't know about it, made lobster. I just did it anyway. I completely disobeyed him. You know why? I told myself he didn't really understand. He didn't really get it. Men just don't get those things. They don't understand reciprocating stuff. They don't, under, they don't keep all those lists in their file about who gave you what the year before. And you need to kind of give something that, that next year that's sort of equal. They think that is so ridiculous. So <clears throat> anyway, I did it anyway. Made the lobster bisque. I completely ruined my whole Advent season. And this is when I knew I had started. I'd learned that you've got to allow more time. You need more margin in the Advent season to really take advantage of that supernatural grace of God. See, the Advent season, okay, do you know what I mean by Advent? Advent is the season prior to Christmas. It's the four Sundays before Christmas. Some years there'll be five Sundays. Usually they're just four, beginning right after Thanksgiving. That is the start of the Christian year. The Christian calendar begins with Advent. And the season extends all the way through January the 6th. That's the 12th day of Christmas. January the 6th is also Epiphany. That's when the wise men were purported to have actually brought their gifts to the uh, baby. Every church tradition is a little different, all that. None of that really matters in the grand scheme. But what does matter is that when you extend the season to the 12th day, which is January the 6th, you shouldn't be starting it so early. Okay, It wasn't that long ago. Actually, I have an aunt in town who's 90 years old. When she was a young wife, she remembers they all and everyone always got their Christmas trees on Christmas Eve or maybe the day before. So the special thing about Christmas with your children was decorating the tree. It wasn't about ripping into all the presents underneath it. And that's a huge cultural shift right there. 
See, now we get that tree put up soon. You're so tired of it by Christmas. You want it out of there. It's a fire hazard. When really you're, you're lopping off a big part of your, of your season. And we start thinking about it too soon. We actually start thinking Christmas thoughts when MJ Designs tells you to. Or when some retailer tells you to. Okay? That's wrong. If you're really observing this rhythm of the sacred. Okay? Let me tell you what that is. There are three holy days, three holidays, okay? Christmas, Easter, and Pentecost. So of the 52 weeks of the Christian year, each one should be spent anticipating, celebrating, or reflecting over that particular holy day, okay? And then there's a little microcosm within each week where Wednesday is the central part of the week. Now the Sabbath, either Sunday or um, Saturday, whichever your tradition is, you are to be, from Wednesday on, you're to be anticipating that sermon. From this ser- from that Sunday to the next Wednesday, you're to be reflecting over what you just heard. So it's a little, it's, it's just a way to keep your life in balance. The, um, the Christian calendar is something that I'm noticing is kind of coming back around. You may, I don't know that Mark, Watermark would have one in the church literature racks, but here is a great example. This is an old calendar, but it, you can see it all the way to the back. This is why I'm keeping it. Can you see the different color blocks on the weeks? The three holi- holy days, holidays, are three different colors. So I think what's interesting is that Pentecost, these green blocks, are the majority of the year. That suggests growth. Okay? So if you're going to begin thinking about the incarnation... When you still should be in the in the growth mode, you're lopping off some weeks of growth. For instance, most of our Bible studies, which is, has become kind of the, the backbone of your private devotional time, which I think is fine. I hope you'll do more. As you grow in Christ, you'll want to do more. But most of our Bible studies stop meeting because people are so distracted. And I've been on those those committees before. And I said, yeah, I agree. We probably should meet it all in December. Everybody's so distracted, they're just making lists the whole time. So we're getting way ahead of ourselves. You need to be try- make yourself think the thoughts of the year at the appropriate time. Okay, so the Advent season, <clears throat> the four Sundays in there, you can really take, talk about spreading out the season, to spread out the work. What I learned about, what I'm sharing with you today are just things I learned When I knew I had to address that group, I just started a research project. So the way you can incorporate this into family life is that you treat the four Sundays as mini Christmases, M-I-N-I. So if the problem with children is that you get all this buildup and you get to the Christmas day and it's like they rip open the gifts and then that's it. And then they're disappointed. And it's like, is that all there is? And then you're mad at them and just that whole thing. So you can spread it out in a really biblically um, meaningful way by taking each of those four Sundays as a Christmas day. Make it very special. And every family would do it differently. Okay, so what we did was um, that first Sunday, we turned that, and also was trying to do this, um, kind of get out of the mall, try to make it less commercial. So we instituted uh, our own four Sundays rather than the you know, the first Sunday is the Bethlehem Sunday or the Prophecy Sunday or the Joseph Sunday, whatever. And every church tradition has four different things that you focus on, and they're wonderful. But I switched those around. And so what we focused on 
because I wanted our kids, if I wanted this to feel like a little Christmas, to spread it around, there had to be a present, okay? I mean, you got to work with your sin nature. When they knew they were getting a present, they really listened. So we had a little family altar. We sang two or three Christmas carols, all four verses. There is such amazing theology in the verses of those hymns. So we sang the song. Stephen would do a little devotional. I'll tell you about the devotional in a minute. We'd light one of the candles on the Advent wreath. It was so perfect to have four kids, four candles. So they got to take turns doing their deal. And um, then they would open a gift. And we would give them a gift from us. Okay, I'm okay with parents giving kids gifts because I believe you've got the opportunity to really share the gospel with your kids. See, the gospel is about lavish, lavish grace. Remember when Mary broke the bottle of very expensive oil on Jesus' feet? He was pleased with that. She got it. Okay, I'm here now. So I think to spoil your kids at Christmas is not necessarily bad if they understand why you are doing it. So we, plus, the I think there's a stewardship issue involved when children do not understand wise, careful shopping. They buy stupid junk for each other that goes in your garage sale box by, you know, Valentine's Day. So, and then they're running around ragged of going to the mall so they can buy presents for their friends and for each other. So, no, we just got away from that. And so, the way we did it, but they, they had a desire to give. And that's something you want to applaud in them. They want to give, and that's great. But we wanted to switch it to non-monetary gifts. So, the first Sunday, this is not in your book, so you may want to write this down just in case you like it. Um, it's SECS. They gave um, the gift of... That's not right. Maybe we started with C. Anyway, the order doesn't really matter. They gave each other the gift of creativity. They would make something for each other. This works at, unless they're just an infant. They can make stuff for each other. And they ended up, they thought this was the dumbest idea at first. Like, Mom, you're just making us guinea pigs again. My kids are real guinea pigs. But they ended up really liking it. So they would make something for each other. And then one Sunday was the gift of encouragement where they, um, usually they would write a note to each other, you know, just to encourage them about something going on in school or, um, you know. And by the way, the gift of a letter is the number one most um, thoughtful gift you can ever give to a teacher. Okay? Because... Especially if you'll do this. If you'll go to the trouble to copy her principle, and you highlight one thing that teacher's done for your child that year, one good thing, send her a little note, thanking her for it, CC her principle. That's how teachers get raises. I've had many, many teachers come up after I read that in a book, come up and tell me, wow, you're right. Um, so just, just think about that. You don't need to go buy another apple or candle or coffee mug for them. Okay, and then the gift of something they already have. You know, kids just love to use each other's stuff or to steal each other's stuff. Yes, these are the four different Sundays. Um, we called it the kind of the, the sacrificial something. You know, just something you are. And it can't be your junk. It needs to be something that that this child has that he knows. And this is for siblings, okay, siblings. Something that he knows his sibling would really like to have and use. 
Okay, and then the gift of service. This this is the one we got the most mileage out of because that ended up being little coupons that has morphed in our family into our everyone's favorite Christmas gift. Okay, the gift of service, meaning I will feed the dog for you. I will do this chore for you. I will make your bed. I will make your lunch. I will just whatever the little service is. They they just got so excited thinking about what they could give and do for each other. The other thing it did, of course, it kept me from going to the mall, but I've got another friend with four children, and let me tell you what she did. I think this is an amazing, amazingly great idea for multiple child, not even just multiple, but any any family. <clears throat> when you don't really trust that your child is a very good shopper, and they just aren't, they don't have the capacity to do that. She would pre-select things for each of her children that she knew they would want, like, need, whatever, and, you know, she kind of did it all through the year. By the way, 75% of all retail purchases are Christmas purchases. All year long, people are thinking about Christmas. So <clears throat> she would pre-select all of these things. And then she set aside one night early in the Advent season to have mom's store. So she turned her bedroom into like a department store with corny Christmas music and candles. And you could have hot chocolate. And she let the kids come into her bedroom one at a time, and they would shop for one another. And then, you know, she'd given them all. I mean, they had some money that they earned from chores, but they always gave them a little bit of money for Christmas anyway to purchase gifts with. So she let each child purchase the gift from her at, you know, 20% of what she paid. So they're learning a little bit about budgeting and what things cost and all that. And then she'd help them wrap it. But they got the whole experience of shopping and wrapping and thinking about somebody else. Oh, what would they really like? And, and um, you know, because when they saw all of that stuff, you know, and then the rest of it that she would end up giving to them, to those children, to herself for a Christmas present later. But it was just really a super great way to do that. Okay. Um, uh-huh. Yes, okay. My hu- and, you, and you know what? No two families are the same. This is just what I did. We, My husband and I would give them a gift, like a real gift, something that was on their list that they wanted. And they knew that this means on Christmas Day you're going to have less loot under the tree, okay? And by the way, in case I forget to say this, do not let the coolest gifts come from Santa. Let them come from you, okay? You set up a little ingrate to have him get this cool stuff, and there's no way to say thank you, okay? Let it come from you. Let Santa bring like the deodorant and toothpaste. That's what my mother used to do, Santa would bring socks. It's like, who cares about Santa? You know, we really make him way too large in our lives. Okay, so the four Sundays were the way we just decided to spread it around. On your outline, it says spread out the season, kind of spread out the work. That kept that spread around. So that's in a weekly observance. Then I learned about something called the Jesse tree that helped us on a daily basis. Okay, you know what? I know you all are scribbling. Let's go to, look in the front copy, I mean front pocket of your red folder. There's an outline. This might be a better place for you to jot down a few notes. Let me see where we are on this outline. We're still up under SOS and SOW. Spread out the season, spread out the work. I just kind of help it feel a little more organized to you. So the Jesse tree... Well, actually, the Jesse tree gets over onto the next page. 
Well, it doesn't matter. I hope you're not a person that really has to go right by the outline. We will cover all of this. Do you know how nice it is to have this much time? When I share this message, I usually have 45 minutes, and I can't get to my stories. I just hate it. And I want to have time to hear from you all. I want the discussion at the tables. I want to hear your questions. I want to hear your comments, and we're going to pray. But I also would like to let you go before three hours. I think three hours is a beating. Do you all, Raise your hand if you want to be here all three hours. <laughs> you don't? You want to learn three hours worth in two, right? So we'll try to do that. So the Jesse tree is literally a little tree, okay? You know those manzanilla branch things that we all used to buy for Easter at MJ Designs? You can use that. You can get a branch out of your a tree in your yard and stick it in a pot. But you do need something with branches for a Jesse tree. If you buy that big book from Dina, there's a bunch of information about a Jesse tree. Or you can buy, you can go online and look up Jesse trees. You can go to Lifeway Christian stores and find out about Jesse trees. Um, there's a book on the back table about Jesse trees. But literally, it's a little tree. And the name Jesse is from, Jesse was the great, 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 great grandfather of Christ, okay, of David. So Christ came through the lineage of David. So that's where it comes from. It's a way to connect the Old Testament to the New Testament, okay? Christ is all through the Old Testament. So the Jesse tree has associated with it a symbol for each day of Advent. So this is fabulous for little children because they go in order. You know, we would just rotate through the family. This was our three-minute family devotional on busy school mornings. They would go to the little box right here, get out an ornament if it was their turn, or find the right ornament that went with the little matching devotional, and then they'd hang the little ornament on the tree, Okay. Like I'll pull this one out. Like if you, if it was your day and you pulled out the ornament for this, you pulled out this ornament. Well, then the match, the corresponding little devotional in your Advent Jesse Tree devotional book or whatever your devotion, they're all the same. All the Advent Jesse Tree devotionals are the same. Okay, they all take Old Testament stories and will unpack for you where Christ is. So this reminds you of the story of Jacob's dream, right? Remember, Jacob saw angels ascending and descending on the ladder. Well, what does a ladder and angels have to do with Christ? Okay, well, Christ came at Christmas. Christ is the ladder. He's how we now can get to go. He came down so that we could go up. Okay, the Son of God became a man so that men could become the sons of God. So that's the significance of the Old Testament theory. This is just an example. Here's another example I love, Noah's Ark. Hey, what does, you know, and your kids know all these Old Testament stories, but they don't see any connection with that in Christ. That's your job as their teacher, okay? Noah and his family were safe from destruction when they were in the ark. You are safe from destruction if you are in Christ. Okay, so Christ is the ark. So the whole Old Testament is full of that, and that's what the Jesse tree is for. So you spend five minutes on a busy morning. You have five minutes, okay? They're, they're eating their cereal. And you're doing your deal. So this is the way you keep their little hearts galvanized. Because you know what their friends talk about at school all day long in December? What they're going to get. What are you going to get? What are you going to get? You know what's on your list. The goal for you is to get your family to where they're asking you, what are we going to give? Who are we going to adopt this year? And that can happen. So that's the Jesse tree. I highly, highly, highly recommend that. Okay, I'm going to back up here on your outline just in case somebody here is disturbed that I've skipped. And like me, I want to make sure I don't skip anything. Okay, so let's make sure on SOS and SOW. Okay, return to the church calendar. You see where I am right in the middle of the page on the first page of your outline? Is everybody with me? Okay. 
We talked about that. We know about um, Advent all the way through Epiphany, okay? See, Advent is to Christmas what pregnancy is to the birth of a baby. You're given time to prepare for the birth. So that's what you should be busy about, the incarnation, not all the other great things. Consider other holidays for parties, cards, and gifts. This is the single most helpful thing I can tell you. When you're doing your planning, especially when you're with your groups, we're all in two or three different groups. When you're talking about your holiday party, why don't you raise your hand and say, hey, could we do it in January this year? Why don't we go to the after Christmas sales and buy a dress and buy gifts for each other and get together in January when it's kind of bleak and there's nothing fun? Start doing whatever you can do to download some, to move off some of those responsibilities until later in the year. Okay, cards. This was a very hard thing for me, but I switched from Christmas cards to Easter cards, Easter greeting cards. I know that sounds ridiculous, but maybe that's my fear of man again. I wanted all my friends to see a picture of my darling children at Christmas, just like they sent me. But I knew that just from becoming a student of myself, when I did a Christmas card, it took the entire dining room table, and it took about 10 days. So nobody got a meal. And if you dare to put your little grimy hand up on one of my piles while I'm waiting for addresses here and I'm waiting for a glue stick here and I'm waiting for the stamps here, I mean, you might just get your hand slapped. So that wasn't a good thing for me. I didn't have nine or ten days to give. Because remember, Christmas doesn't come in a vacuum. Your life is already very full. And then you'll have many, many, many additional obligations just because it's Christmas. Okay? So... When I learned on the church calendar that Easter is just as important as Christmas. In fact, he was born to die. Okay, it's the culmination. And then Pentecost. I haven't done a Pentecost card yet, but think about Pentecost. Okay, that's where you celebrate the work of the Holy Spirit. How, where would you be in your life without the Holy Spirit to illuminate God's word for you, to comfort you, and to convict you of sin? It is the most passed over holiday in all of Christendom. And it's so important. I don't I don't get I think we're all a little afraid of being charismatic or something. You know, somebody will think I'm a Pentecostal if I whatever. I don't know. So I moved to Easter cards. Let me tell you the benefit was that um, my children saw me go to a lot of trouble for this Easter card. So it kind of because the culture doesn't do very much for you to make Easter into a big deal. You're in that much money they make on chocolate bunnies. And so it's just not that big a deal. It's certainly a big deal in the church. But for them to see me doing the same process of finding the most darling picture I can and finding a great text and finding a photographer, just all of those steps at Easter, it was, it was a good thing. It helped them understand the value and the importance of Easter. It is just as important as Christmas. In fact, I read somewhere that you should, when you're throwing your Christmas tree away, carve off a little piece of the trunk, like two little pieces, and hammer them together, tie them together, glue them together from your Christmas tree, and use that at Easter. Put it on your Easter table, you know, kind of to help them connect the dots there. You know, little children are, are really sad at Easter, so they need to, or they're sad on Good Friday and choked up again. They need to know this is part of God's plan. This was his plan, that he, his son would die for you. And there's the glorious Resurrection Sunday. Okay, I'm going to make an assumption here that you all, I believe you're all Christians or you wouldn't have gotten up early to come to Watermark Church to hear somebody talk about Christ at Christmas. 
But I do think there are probably some of you in here that do not really understand the gospel. Okay, do you know the gospel is only ten words? Ten words. Jesus died for my sins and rose from the dead. Okay? We get really freaked out about what the gospel is because we know we're supposed to share it and we're afraid. You're not commanded to share the Bible. The Bible is a library. It's hundreds of thousands of words. You're commanded to share the gospel. Okay? And when you understand that really it was Jesus that died for you and rose from the dead, if you really get that, that he died for you and rose from the dead, that that's, that's all it takes to satisfy God's wrath, then you take all that pressure off yourself. You no longer are worried, that, oh, am I good enough? Have I done enough Bible study? Did I not do enough bad things? That whole moralism thing that still happens to us all, see, that's your default mode. If you get out of your kind of walking in step with the Spirit, you will slip right into moralism. So I want to make sure you understand that that is the gospel, okay? That's the freedom of the gospel.